0: Hey Chloe.
1: Hey Ralph, how are you going?
0: Yeah, I'm awesome, how are you?
1: Wait, let me guess, let me guess. <laughs> awesome? Are yeah. you in fact awesome?
0: Yeah, I had an awesome run this morning because Wednesday's my running day ah. and I really, I enjoy running.
1: Yeah. I enjoy running too, mm. I went for a run as well. Mm. Was it awesome? Yeah. It was pretty awesome. There were moments where it was like, <laughs> might be having a cardiac yeah. arrest moments. Yeah. But apart from that, it was awesome. Yeah, well, my um, my cardio fitness is a bit a bit lax at the moment. But, so, but don't you
0: find that with running in general? Like that's how I feel about running. Is it's like it's a fine line between loving it and hating it. But it always comes out on the loving it side. You know, it's like it's, yeah, totally. it's kind of on. It's kind of painful. Like it's not like you're running along. going, Oh, this is just pure bliss. You know, it's like. <laughs> you know, drinking Ambrosia of the Gods, you know, whatever. It's like, no, yeah, it's, it's like it's, it's it, it hurts, you know.
1: yeah.
0: It's it's hard work and yeah. it hurts. <laughs> yeah. But somehow, but actually, somehow actually, you enjoy it though.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think I mentioned to you, you had a bit of good old non-specific low back pain the other day that was quite, you know, kind of like, well, you know, every now and then it, it was, you know, there's kind of like the dull ache and then there's like the whole, whoa actually, that freaking, that's quite sore uh and you know I wasn't concerned about it at all but what I did do specifically on the day it was particularly sore which was the other day I went for a run and uh felt felt a lot better during the run you know felt pretty much the same after the run again yesterday yesterday it was pretty sore went for a big walk instead today woke up feeling freaking awesome neuron back pain totally gone from like I'm talking pretty damn sore to Near on gone today. Three days later, um, yeah. Man, and, must be
0: running. But, Couldn't be regression. Have, uh, Couldn't be uh, regression. Logical
1: fallacy. <laughs> I went for a great, went for a great run today. I, you know, but I think it's good to talk about this because in the past, before I knew much about pain and back pain and blah blah blah, that initial holy shit, this really hurts, would have sent me to a healthcare provider. Yeah, yeah. What's wrong with me? Oh, da, da, da But instead, I was like, oh, I'm going to keep moving. Oh, I'm actually even going to run, and now I feel awesome. So there you go. That's a three-day turnaround, not too bad, on some acute low-back pain. (gasps) Yeah. So there you go. Anyway, had a run, loved it, blah, blah, blah. It was tough. But, yeah, good stuff. Okay, so we've got a couple of – actually, before we dive into the DMs, Thank you so much to everyone who's been listening to uh, the episode that went out on Sunday about being yourself. Uh, That has produced a lot of DMs saying, hey, thank you. That was just what I needed to hear. And I will carry that into my classes this week.
0: That's awesome. So it's
1: resonated. Yeah.
0: And we got a review saying we're lit.
1: Do you know what that means, Ralph?
0: Yeah, it's shot for literature, which is cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it means, doesn't it mean like we're like, yeah yeah true.
0: I don't know. I think that's, what, that's what the youth. Are on on t- that's what the youth say. You know.
1: That's what the youth say. Yeah. I bet been to been to your your teenage daughter could help us out with yeah. with lit.
0: Yeah, she'd just um. go. She'd tell me like yeah, it's like it just means like lit, like like. <laughs> That's what said. still saying. doesn't
1: mean you're cool though, Dad. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, we're lit. So thank you. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it as always. Seriously, mm-hmm. um, that one felt like a very personal one for me, and that I'm glad it really resonated and and helped you guys. And you can keep it in mind and and share it with someone else if you've got a you got a, a friend that's you know that 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 sort of you know self doubt. Coming into their head and getting in the way of them following their passion. Share it with
0: them. PS You're not too so, old. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. yeah, what are we going to talk yeah. about today? We, okay. we've got a couple of DMs you said.
1: Yeah, we've got a couple of DMs. So let's let's dive into those. Uh we've got two. The first one, uh, which I feel like you're gonna love answering Raf, is from Dan Pilates with Dan. Shout out to Dan. Hey, Dan. We love Dan. Dan's in Canberra. If you're not following Dan on the socials, you should. So it's Pilates with Dan. Um, he is a long-time friend of Breathe education. I thought and you were going to say he's a his...
0: long-time listener, first-time caller.
1: Well, he is a long-time this, – this is kind of his first DM, mm. so we could say that. Mm. We could say that. Um, but, yeah, we love Dan. Pilates with Dan are in Canberra. So, here we go. This is his question. The myth is Pilates is all you ever need to do for exercise, for good health and well-being. Should we consider Pilates as a good form of general exercise and movement? Question mark. If so, how does that fit in with current exercise guidelines of 150 minutes of cardio um, and two plus strength slash resistance training sessions per week? Question mark.
0: What a great question, Dan. You're awesome.
1: Um, well, he is awesome. Yeah, I
0: think Pilates is a fantastic form of exercise, but it's not all you need. I mean, just like broccoli is a fantastic vegetable, but it doesn't represent a balanced diet. So, uh, Pilates, you know, depending on how you do it, can fall under the the realm of strength training or under flexibility training or both. Uh, it you know it might be cardio under some under some circumstances, but really, I think. You know, like if you're doing jump board work or that type of thing, you probably get a bit out of breath. But really, mostly, the if you're doing things like jump board work, the thing that stops you is not your uh, you know, getting out of breath. It's like your legs start burning really bad, so you have to stop. So, you know, it's more muscular. It's more a muscular workout than it is a cardiovascular workout. Um, so uh, the exercise guidelines that Dan's referring to are that uh, just the the World Health Organization Physical Activity Guidelines for Adults, which are basically um, if you do 150 to 300 minutes of moderate intensity cardio, so that's like brisk walking or equivalent where you're just very, very slightly out of breath. Uh, if you do that every week uh, and you do also two to three resistance training sessions where you work all of your major muscles to near fatigue, uh, then basically you cut your chance of dying in the next 10 years of any cause by 50%. Uh, so where does Pilates fit into that? Well, I'd say Pilates fits into the resistance training, um, and, you know, slash flexibility slash balance coordination. Um, so that would be the, you know, resistance side of things. And then, uh, you probably need to accumulate 150 minutes of cardio as well. So you can walk 15 minutes to the bus in the morning and 15 minutes home in the afternoon, five days a week, bam, there's your 150 minutes. Or you can run twice as fast and go for half as long. So if you run for seven and a half minutes to get to the bus and then run for seven and a half minutes on the way home, you're done.
1: So, Raf, do you think Pilates, so if you're just doing Pilates as the resistance quota of your, you know, of of what you need to be doing for baseline baseline health, basically health and fitness, strength, do you think there is enough resistance work in Pilates to –
0: it, well, it depends how you teach it, right? I mean, if the yeah. sort of Pilates you're doing is a lot of like pre-Pilates or, you know, breathing work or pelvic floor work and stuff, that yeah, probably it doesn't have enough resistance in it. But if you're doing a lot of push-ups and planks and lunges and down stretches and up stretches and side bends thingies on the box and, you know, that's awesome. You know, basically if your muscles are burning, you're probably mm-hmm. doing it hard enough, you know? Right. But, but we're talking about like, you know, a resistance training session as de- as defined by the WHO, the World Health Organization, means bringing all of your major muscles to fatigue or near fatigue, right? So if you're just like doing, you know, targeting like some minuscule muscle in the deep inside your glutes somewhere, <laughs> right? Well, that's great and that's good. But what about all of the other muscles, you know, your quads and your hamstrings and your calves and your hip flexors and your bum and your abs and your back? Not
1: your
0: and, hip flexors, yeah. Rap. You don't want to work them. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Not the Wash hip your mouth
1: out. Yeah. <laughs> You know,
0: so so if you can, if you can create as a as an instructor, if you can create a, a class program that works every every muscle in the body, you know, I mean, it's pretty easy, right? You just you work their front, then you work their back, then you work the sides. Bam, you're done. <laughs> you know, like if you, mm-hmm. you face the front of the reformer to work the front, then you face the back of the reformer to work the back. Then you do some ab work and some back work. You know, then you do some mm. footwork or leg work or lunges. Or, you know, it's like that's pretty easy. It's pretty basic programming. So by the time you've done that, you know. If that's a full workout. As long as you've brought your, the clients to, you know, fatigue or near fatigue. So, like, within two or three reps of can't continue because I'm – not just because it's burning, but because I actually, phys- you know, physically can't continue. My muscles are fatigued. Mm. Yeah.
1: Cool. Okay.
0: Great. Excellent. So, to one. me,
1: To me, that answer would be it depends.
0: Well, depends. Like like, yeah. It de- yeah. yeah, well, yeah. I would say, yeah, if you're teaching Pilates, you know, vigorously, you know, in the way that Joe taught it um, or something vaguely similar, you know, like, uh, I mean, as in, in the way that Joe it, taught it, as in he taught it vigorously, right, you know. Um, so if you're teaching it vigorously, what, it, you know, KX or any other thing that where basically people are working hard um, mm. and you do a whole body workout, I'd say, yes, it definitely qualifies as resistance training. If you're not mm-hmm. doing that, yeah, it probably doesn't, you know, mm. and it's probably more just what I would classify as like a stretching slash relaxation, you know, exercise, and you probably need mm. to do two, two additional mm. strength training sessions.
1: And I think then when the, the gray area and stuff comes into that too, is then if we're thinking about our our clientele who are potentially, you know, I'm thinking about our... <laughs> Osteopenia, osteoporosis, etc. And if they're using Pilates as that is their resistance, and we're wanting to actually, you know, strengthen bone, uh, we'd need to be mindful that we are you applying need to enough
0: more load. Yeah, get more, more load, load. Those yeah. little pink one kilo dumbbells aren't going to cut it.
1: No, no. So yeah, okay, cool, cool. But
0: Excellent. I think that's a whole other episode. That's you know. what
1: I'm thinking. Yeah. Have we done osteoporosis yet?
0: I don't reckon we have.
1: Okay, well, Even if we'll we have, do, we'll I've do an... it. Okay, so yeah. I, have we done osteoporosis?
0: I'm pretty sure we haven't.
1: Okay, oh my goodness. Maybe we haven't. Okay, we we'll probably need to. Um. Okay, great. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> right in again. Uh, next person. <laughs> uh, another uh, awesome, longtime friend of uh, BE, uh, Alison. Uh, Alison is a fantastic, Alison Millek. Great, great Pilates instructor, uh, awesome critical thinker and BE graduate in Melbourne. So, um, Alison, and she's also my friend, um, she had a great question and it's interesting because it is a question that I have just recently posed to our trainers as well. So, in Pilates, we, it's kind of just this rule, and it's not an unsaid rule because it's a said rule, (laughs) that if you're on the reformer and you're going to be either, and you're going to be lifting your hips, whether that be, so you're in supine and then you're lifting your hips up into a bridge, or you're taking your legs overhead with something like um, short spine, long spine, overhead, etc., that you must have the head rest down. And that is for safety reasons. And, yeah. uh, you know, and it's just, it's just been a rule and it's like, that's just what's kind of taught. And I was thinking about the other day and I was thinking, oh, why are why we, we, if we're going to give a rule, we better know why. Yeah. So, so Alison's question is, is this just a, 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 a thing that we all say or is it genuinely dangerous? Like, is it genuinely dangerous? Okay, sorry. Is it genuinely dangerous or are we just saying it because it's habitual and that's what you do in Pilates, you say that?
0: Yeah, I think the latter. So, yeah, this is a question actually you asked You asked literally last week, Chloe. And, Correct. Um, so we've done a little bit of research on this. And basically on Google Scholar Search of uh, all entitled cervical load flexion, uh, there are five studies that come up and none of them has got anything to do with um, – this question, uh, and I've tried a few different combinations of, of search terms, and basically there is no such thing as research on this, it doesn't exist, so uh, therefore it's something someone just made up, and therefore we can let go of it. So thanks Alison, for bringing that to our attention. So folk out there, if you want to do rollovers on the reformer, or uh, rollovers, on the, rollovers on the mat with a pillow under your head, if you want to do short spine on the reformer with your head rest up, I say go for gold.
1: There you go. I, I'm going to assume it, it would uh, work to help strengthen the muscles. Yeah. I mean, what, neck, about, what about all those
0: yogis mm-hmm. doing their shoulder stands with their neck, you know, absolutely so flexed that their chin's like jammed into their breastbone? You know, they mm. seem to be fine.
1: It's like one rule for one <laughs> one school of movement and uh, nothing then yeah. it doesn't exist in another, which, yeah, it, it put our critical thinking caps on. And, um, yeah, it just really stood out to me the other day when I heard – someone say it, and I was like, wait a second, why? Yeah, good question. Yeah, And and the answer
0: is no good reason, yeah.
1: The answer is no good reason. There you go. Let that one explode your brain. Just leave your headrest
0: up at all times.
1: Ooh, did those two really just say that? OMG. We did. Yeah. We did. Cool. Okay.
0: All right. So we're going to um, talk about something that's – always pretty exciting to talk about, actually, I reckon, which is uh, hypermobility.
1: Hypermobility. So what's the elephant? Well, The elephant is that that most instructors out there seem to think that every client is hypermobile. If if we go by the queuing, don't hyperextend your knees, don't hyperextend your elbows, don't hyperextend your back when you're in the backbend.
0: Yeah, well, I think, I think there are a few elephants, let's figure them okay. out. I think, all right. Okay. So there's, I think there's definite, there's masses of fear around hypermobility. Um, yeah. And so all of those cues you just said, like, don't hyperextend your elbows, don't lock your knees, blah, blah, blah. That's all about fear, right? And, you know, don't mm-hmm. do it so that you stay safe.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: uh, and so I guess the elephant is that it's dangerous, you know, to lock your joints mm-hmm. um, okay. if you're hypermobile. It's dangerous to hyperextend your knees or your back or your elbows. Um, and that there's something called instability, you know, mm. which is another elephant. Um, and that we, I think a, the a massive elephant is that by, you know, queuing or doing some kind of specific exercise training for people with hypermobility, we can, we can, you know, protect them or fix them or correct them or, you know, so, some other way, like you know fix them basically
1: i think the big i when i'm sitting here thinking about this i think one of the biggest elephants is that i don't actually think instructors and and i'm not just talking in the pilates realm because i see this on repeat in the you know the personal training realm etc etc i don't think people actually know what true hypermobility is
0: okay let's put that one on the list too
1: like, I, because it seems to think that everyone seems to think that anything where you're, you know, fully extending your legs yeah. is, co- is hi- like, seriously, yeah. is hyperextension. If I'm not leaving some sort of freaking micro bend in my yeah. elbows when I'm doing a plank or my knees when I'm doing footwork, I am in hyperextension. Yeah. yeah. Which is total bullshit. Um, and also, guys, <laughs> I talk to my students about this too, like, what, what do you think when people stand up when they walk around in the world? Like, like are people walking around with a little micro bend in their knees or when they're standing with a little micro bend? you know, it's what I mean? It's like, really weird. There's no, like, what? Um, dumb. I'm sorry, but it's dumb. We've got to talk. Let's talk about this. All
0: right. So, all right. So, first, I think let's just. Let's just talk about the first one, which is what is hypermobility and what isn't hypermobility. Yes. So, yeah. all right. So, hypermobility is uh, it's a condition which is uh, for which the diagnostic criteria are a score of more than or four four or more out of nine on something called the test, Beighton test B E I G H T O N plus widespread pain. So, um, basically, this Bayton test, and I'll link to it, is basically if you can bend your little finger back more than 90 degrees, so you can do this as you're listening now, if you can bend your little finger I'm, back more than 90 degrees. I am
1: doing that right now. You didn't even have yeah. to tell me, and I just started. I'm like, cool, mine you does get, not bend back.
0: You get one point for each arm. You know, so if you do it on your right side, you get one point. If you can do it on your left side, you get another point. Uh, if you can bend your thumb to touch the flexor side, the inside of your forearm, Right, so not the back of your forearm, but the kind of the inside part of your forearm. So if you can touch your thumb onto your forearm, you get a point for each thumb. Uh, I'm just telling you right now, my thumb is about five inches away from my forearm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So is mine, so is mine. And my little finger didn't go very far either. (laughs) Um, um, But I've been told not to hyperextend all the freaking time.
0: (laughs) If you can um, extend your knees uh, beyond more than 10 degrees beyond straight, um that's ten uh, one point per knee. And if you can extend your elbows more than 10 degrees beyond straight, that is one point per elbow. So up so far, there's a maximum of uh, eight points. So, you know, one point for each little finger, one point for each thumb, one point for each knee, one point per, for each elbow. And then if you can stand with your legs straight, your knees straight, and press the flat of your palms firmly onto the floor, uh, that is one more point. So, if you get oh. if you get four or more, any four or more, plus you've got widespread pain, then that is diagnostic criteria for uh, hypermobility.
1: There you go. Now, I can't do one of those things. I didn't get even one point, oh. but I am often told by people visually looking at me, ACA Pilates instructors, that I hyper-extend my elbows. Huh. I'll tell you right now I don't. This is very interesting.
0: Wow. So that is the diagnostic criteria. Yeah. Yeah, that's the
1: diagnostic criteria. And is
0: that called allos uh, So, uh, yeah, it's called benign joint hypermobility syndrome. um, And that is mostly associated with something called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, um, which is a connective tissue syndrome. Kind of condition, so basically, connective tissue is the is uh, another is is a type one of the four types of tissues we have in our body, Um, and many of your organ systems are you know basically all of your organ systems include connective tissue. So basically, your Mm -hmm. your tendons and ligaments are one hundred percent made of connective tissue. Uh, Mm -hmm. Bone is connective tissue, Uh, and then you have connective uh, your blood is actually connective tissue. and then you have connective tissue, another name for it we call it a fascia. Um, it, Fascinating. Yeah. It wraps around the the linings and the outsides of just about every um, tube and body cavity that you have. So for instance, all of your um, blood vessels are, you know, they're they're a hollow tube made of muscle with a, a layer of fascia, you know, or connective tissue around that. Um, your heart, has a, a, a it it's it sits in a bag of connective tissue. Your lungs um, are surrounded by connective tissue. Each of your nerves has a sheath of connective tissue around it. Um, your digestive system is a hollow tube of muscle um, surrounded by connective tissue. So basically all of your systems, you know, you think of a system, your nervous system, your cardiovascular system, your uh, digestive system, you know, they're all um, you know, intimately uh, sort of uh, made up by connective tissue. Um, and connective tissue itself is made of proteins, uh, predominantly two proteins called collagen and elastin. Uh, mm-hmm. And you've probably heard of these from your skincare products.
1: Yes, um, correct.
0: <laughs> and, <laughs>
1: Absolutely. And so
0: they're they're two structural <laughs> proteins, which means they're 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 basically what the stuff is made of. Um, and so the proteins aren't living. We have little cells in there that inside you know connective tissue cells that um, manufacture these proteins, but the proteins is what makes up the bulk of what the tissue actually is. Um, and so collagen and elastin, are they're proteins and they're both kind of long, like kind of fibers or bits of straw, you know, like not, um, not a, not a drinking straw, but like a bit of grass, you know, dried grass straw. Um, and collagen is much thicker and straighter. So it's kind of um, think of collagen as like kind of a steel cable, whereas elastin is, mu- so it's, it's, you know, it's steel cable, like it's rigid if you pull it tight, like it doesn't stretch beyond its kind of normal length, but if you make it loose, it will bend. Wow. Um, whereas, uh, elastin is much more elastic, like its name, uh, suggests, and it's, think of elastin more like a, a flex band, Right, or more like one of those slinky toys, you know, the ones that kind of go down the steps. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of elastin is kind of wavy. And so you can stretch it very easily beyond its kind of normal resting length. You know, it's very extensible. And then when you let it go, it it springs back, springs back to its its resting length. Um, and so our connective tissue, you know, all connective tissue in your body is made of some combination of collagen and elastin. Um, and most of us, uh, you know, the, the, it's mostly collagen, right? So the collagen is the strong, you know, more rigid protein, whereas elastin is more elastic. And just think about like, you know, think about your yoga pants or your Pilates pants, right? If you look on the label, it's probably going to say like 95% cotton, 5% elastin, Right, so if you just put just a little bit of elastic in there, it gives it quite a bit of stretch. You know, if it was made of 95% elastine, 5% cotton, it would just be this shapeless baggy pouch, you know, pulled on the floor. Um, so you want, you know, you want your pants to be mostly cotton, which is kind of a strong structural element and just a little bit of elastic and that's the same with your connective tissue in your body so we have mostly collagen and a little bit of elastin and that that varies by tissue type so ligaments have more collagen and less elastin tendons have a little bit more elastin and less collagen and you know so it just varies by tissue type and it also varies between people you know some people have a teeny bit more collagen than others and others have a little bit teeny bit more elastin than others and there's some kind of normal distribution, you know, just like with height or weight or hair color or skin color or whatever. It's like, you know, most people cluster around some kind of average, but then there are people who've got a bit more or a bit less than average. So, and the same, it's the same with with collagen and elastin in your connective tissue. And so here's the thing. If you're a person who's got relatively more collagen, right, well, guess what? You're going to be more stiff like you and me, Chloe. Mm. You know, like if if your ligaments and tendons and the sheaths around your individual muscle fibers and all of your joint capsules and everything is made of more, you know, it's more cotton with no elastin in it, right? It's going to be like an old thick pair of Levi 501s, like not stretchable, right? Mm. So, whereas if you're somebody who just, you know, through genetic chance has a little bit more elastin in your connective tissue well, you're going to be more bendable, right? Just naturally. So, um, and that's, you know, I mean, um, we all know people who are more and less bendable and that's, you know, that's probably a large part of what explains that fact. You know, the amount of relative proportion of collagen versus elastin that we have in our connective tissues. Now, when, uh, you know, so that that's all good and that's all fine and some of us are happy as Larry being stiff and others are happy as Larry being, you know, bit more bendable and that's all good and it's all great. But then there are those who are, you know, kind of at the extreme ends of that continuum, right? So the people Mm. who have a lot more collagen or the people who have a lot more elastin, they're very, very rare. Um, But, you know, the people who have a lot more elastin in their their system, well, they're very much more bendable and their connective tissue tends to be more lax and loose. And Mm. this uh, can manifest by them. Being able to do party tricks like put their thumb on their forearm um, and stuff like that, and the, it manifests in many other ways that are not visible to the naked eye as well. Because the connective tissue sheath around their blood vessels, for example, is more loose. You know, like it's like a saggy pair of over elasticated yoga pants. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm, hold great. anything in, right? So your blood, your blood vessels don't have that pressure around the outside of that tight connective tissue sheath, so your blood pressure is decreased, right? So these people suffer typically from chronically low blood pressure and they can faint very easily if they stand up because their blood just like pulls in their feet. Uh, so there's that. And then uh, your digestive tract is a tube of muscle with connective tissue wrapping around it and you push your food through your digestive tract by contracting your, your digestive tract, the muscle, And also by the elastic properties of that connective tissue. And if it's too elastic and not stiff enough, well, it doesn't push the food through well. And so you have reduced intestinal motility, or in other words, it doesn't push the food through, uh, and also digestive issues, you know, like you can't digest the food properly if you're not pushing it through properly. So uh, these people tend to have gastrointestinal disorders, and then of course the, uh-huh. the heart and the lungs, <laughs> and of course the nervous system is wrapped in connective tissue. So if your wow, nerves, okay. you nerves, know, so this tends, so we tend to get problems, people who have this ehlers Downlow syndrome, you know, at, at the more extreme end, right, mm. tend to have not just this you know, like nifty party trick of being able to put their thumb on their forearm, but they tend to have you know, issues with digestion, with blood pressure, with heart function, with lung function, with nervous system function, with basically all of their systems, right? So it's it's a diverse, widespread sort of scenario. Yeah. Ooh.
1: Okay. Right. Yeah. So. So. Yeah. So we've truly established what what hypermobility is then. So. Why are so many? So it's this coming down to fear. All of this, uh, like you know, <laughs> soften my knees, in yeah. my in well, my footwork, soften yeah. my elbows, in my like.
0: Yeah, well, I think that the I think the the elephant in relation to this is that mm. you know a lot of people think that of hypermobility as purely a biomechanical quote dysfunction end quote mm. um, where you know you're hyper extending your knee, say. Mm. And in hyperextending your knee, you're doing you're putting it under some kind of, you know, unusual, you know, cruel and unusual amount of stress and strain mm. and you're going to damage it. Right. Yeah, and so yeah. you're and predisposing
1: so, yourself to injury.
0: Right. And so that's the elephant. And and you know, then if we get pain in our knee or our elbow or whatever, we go, oh, don't lock it, don't lock it, don't lock it. And so Mm. I guess the, what we, you know, when we look at research, like, well, the first question is like, well, actually do people with hypermobility have more pain than people without hypermobility? And we talked about this, I think, when we talked about scoliosis, it's like, okay, we're always trying to fix people with scoliosis, but it's like, is, are they even broken? Like, is mm. there an actual problem here, <laughs> or are we just trying mm. to fix up a made-up problem that doesn't exist? Um, and so, uh, there's, the, you know, there's there's a fair bit of uh, research on this, but it, it's not very conclusive. So, um, there's a study, uh, systematic review from the Scandinavian Journal of Rheumatology from uh, 2012, um, that found that in European children hypermobility was not associated with pain, but that in Afro-Asian children, it is associated with pain. So that's, you know, that's interesting. Um, and then then uh, another st- um, study in the Journal of Rheumatology from 1996 um, found that joint uh, hypermobility is not a contributing factor to musculoskeletal pain in pre-adolescence. So this was looking at um, you know, young Girls who were ballet dancers, basically in their sort of you know, ten to twelve um, age group, and so there was no association between hypermobility and pain. Um, and then in so we found in children, it's not there's no association in European kids, but in Afro Asian kids there is. In pre adolescence, there's no association, but these were European pre pre adolescence. Um, and then um, in another one in the Journal of Arthritis and Rheumatology from 2013, um, in adolescence, this was a prospective cohort study, they found that um, hypermobile adolescents have more pain at the knee, shoulder, and ankle, but not at the spine, elbows, or hips. And that where they had pain was unrelated to which joints were hypermobile, right? So you might have hypermobile knees, but pain in your shoulders, or Mm. hypermobile elbows, but pain in your ankles, right? So... Um, so it was associated, but only in those, the knee, the shoulder and the ankle and not in the spine, elbows or hips. Um, and then in the, in adults, um, there's a large scale population based, uh, study, uh, from the journal Arthritis Care and Research from 2013. And what they found was that hypermobile adults are slightly more likely, like it's only like a a few percentage points more likely to have particularly widespread pain. Um, uh, And again, not necessarily associated with the specific joint at which they're hypermobile. Uh, Then another study um, in 2006 called Hypermobility in Women with Fibromyalgia Syndrome, um, from the general clinical Rheumatology found that hypermobility is strongly associated with fibromyalgia which is a pain system disorder that's mm. characterized by widespread pain it's it's where the pain the pain system the central nervous system basically goes haywire and turns every you know every input gets recognized as a threat and basically things that don't normally hurt normal people like being having your forearm stroked with a feather are unbarib- mm. are unbearably painful um, mm. and so what they found was that Hypermobility and fibromyalgia coexisted way more commonly than you would expect by chance. Um, so they seem to uh, go together. Um, and so, right, so, right, so in terms of like the question, like, well, does hypermobility cause pain? The answer it seems to be, yeah, probably it does. Um, in more in adults and adolescents, and less so in children.
1: Um, but we're talking about the true definition of hypermobility. I think we have to keep. Looping back to this, this is not, this is not me who doesn't have even can't even can't even like you know get one of those points on that eight point system, right? (laughs) This is this is I you know do do you know what I mean? Like this is what I'm trying to sort of trying to uh, drill down into is that instructors aren't like they don't get that. Right. So yeah, we're not talking about. Just so visually, when you Yeah. So visually, when you look at me doing a plank, right, I'm talking with my hands on the ground, I'm in a plank, I'm in a long stretch. All right. What happens is I'm one of those people that when you look at me and you see it quite a lot on, on dances too, we kind of like do this, it's kind of like we do this natural twisty thing where the inside of my elbow, right? Suddenly twists forward, like it points forward. Instead of usually pointing inwards to my body, are we, can we visualise that? It's now it just sort of twists and looks forward. Now, instructors when they see that—not our instructors, but instructors when they see that historically would go, "Oh shit, you've not, you've not got your, you're hyperextending. Your bones aren't aligned. You know, soften, soften your elbow. Mm. Okay, but." That is not so visually, I guess what I'm saying is that people are looking at things visually and going that is hyperextension. yeah, 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 because i, I it, it, it's i can't I can't tell you roughly the amount of times I've been cute to to line my bones up and soften my elbows well, in I, in the past
0: I mean, I'm a hundred percent with you that um you know people maybe are jumping at ghosts. You know, yeah. uh, in relation to sort of calling things hypermobile that are basically just mm. like the joint is just straight. Um, mm. And I guess I'm, my, my stance is that I'm going to, I'm hoping that by the end of uh, this conversation, people who are listening will be so uninterested in whether people are locking their joints or not, that then they're not even going to care or look, you know, because they're just going to understand that it's just not important.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. And okay, by great. the way, that front part of your elbow, the elbow pit, yeah. is called the anticubital fossa. That's the name of it.
1: anti Cubital. Cubi- yeah. Say An- again.
0: Antecubital fossa.
1: Anticubital fossa.
0: Yeah. Anyway. Well, oh,
1: my little anticubital fossa likes to point yeah. forward. It likes, when I'm in it likes, it likes to
0: rotate anteriorly.
1: Yeah, it's cute. I'm like, yeah. And I, do you know what? I didn't even know it did it until someone pointed it out. I didn't even know it was a thing.
0: Hey, Chloe, does does my little faucet look anteriorly rotated to you in this?
1: <laughs> you just made me snort. I snort <laughs> laugh. <laughs> you know it's a good one when I snort laugh. <laughs> no,
0: we just made an anatomy joke.
1: <laughs> and I found it funny and I it. <laughs> I feel like Nick Maz would like that one too. She loves a good anatomy, you anatomy
0: know, joke. You know you're an, an anatomy nerd when... <laughs>
1: You snot laugh. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, all right. So, okay. all right. Okay. So, okay. does
0: hypermobility okay. cause pain? So, hypermobility is is not just like locking one joint. Hypermobility mm. is when you can touch your, your thumbs on your forearm, slash, bend your little fingers back beyond 90 degrees, slash, uh, extend your knees or your elbows beyond 10 degrees past neutral, or stand with your legs straight and both palms flat on the floor. And if you can do four or more of those nine things, and you've got widespread pain that's that you know qualifies as a diagnosis of of uh, benign joint hypermobility it's called benign because it's like there's no particular ills associated with it mm. um, so and you know is it associated with pain? Well in children probably not maybe um, for some children. Uh, in adolescents, yes, probably, but in specific parts of the body, as in the shoulder, knee and ankle, but not in the spine, elbows or hips. So that, like don't hyperextend your elbow is like, well, people who are hypermobile don't have more elbow pain than people who are not hypermobile. So, you know, why would we worry about that? Um, and then in, the, in adults, it's more associated, very slightly more common um, for hypermobile people to have widespread pain. Um, and particularly fibromyalgia, which is kind of an extreme form of widespread pain. Um, and so, you know, so I, th- what I think- What
1: about dislocations?
0: Uh, Are
1: they more prone to dislocating?
0: Well, I don't know about dislocations because I couldn't find anything on dislocations, you know, per se. I found some papers on injuries, um, which mm-hmm. uh, can I bookmark those for a minute? Sure. Um, cause I just want to, cause I just want to, I want to come to the, the, the pain. uh, Like I want to just kind of talk about pain first, if that's all right. Yes. So, all right. So I think that, you know, the, the, the very short answer to does hypermobility cause pain is yes. Right. And the slightly longer answer is a little bit. And this, and the, the proper answer is yes, a little bit. And it's not specific to the body region that is hypermobile. Right, so people who are hypermobile do tend to have slightly more pain than people who are not hypermobile, but it tends to be widespread, diffuse pain, and it 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 isn't particularly correlated with the the body parts that are hypermobile. Right, so it seems to be less, you know, of a biomechanical, you know, relationship of this joint is hypermobile, therefore this joint hurts, to more like I have this general generalized laxness in my connective tissue, therefore my nervous system, vascular system, digestive system, you know, pulmonary system all don't work normally. So and one of the outputs of that is I have this kind of widespread pain situation. So that is slightly more common in people with hypermobility, but it seems to be more of a generalized symptom rather than specific to the to the joints. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so for injuries, uh, the the literature's mixed on injury. Um, so, there was a systematic review in uh, 2004 that found that uh, generalised ligament laxity does increase the seasonal in- incidence of injuries in uh, rugby players. Um, and then there was another one in 2018 that found that there was no association between, in fact, sorry, found hypermobile people have fewer injuries than people who are not hypermobile. Um, and my Uh, interpretation of that is, well, rugby union is a highly, it's a high impact contact sport, right? So if you play rugby union, you, or rugby league, you know, you have a 120 kilo, maybe a 250 pound, you know, six foot four (laughs) rugby (laughs) person running at you at full tilt and smashing into you, right? Right. And so if your shoulder is in a weird position when that happens, you're probably more prone to dislocate, would be my guess, right? So I would say if you're a rugby player, you probably want to be stiff. Um, whereas if you're something like a netball player or a soccer player or something like that, where or hockey or you know volleyball or tennis, or where, where there's no basically 120 kilo person barreling into you at 30 kilometers an hour. Um, well, it might be that general hypermobility actually protects you against injury because if you kind of roll your ankle a bit, well, you don't tear the ligaments because they stretch, mm-hmm. right? And then they just kind of boing, 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 spring back to their resting length when you unroll your ankle. So mm-hmm. somebody who was more stiff in that situation might have torn a ligament by rolling their ankle, whereas somebody who's more mobile can just kind of like roll with it. So, you know, my interpretation of the injury, injury literature is, yeah, you probably are more likely to get injured if you play contact sports as a hypermobile person, um, but you're probably less likely to get injured if you play non-contact sports as a hypermobile person. Mm. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, is it a good or a bad thing? Well, it depends.
1: But if you do Pilates?
0: I'd say, like, (laughs) regardless of whether you're hypermobile, Pilates is just about the fucking safest thing you could do on the whole planet.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you. <laughs> oh, dear. <sighs> oh my God. Okay. I know. Like
0: uh, like <sighs> Isn't it like isn't it funny that like in this Pilates, which is like the mm. fucking lowest impact mm. thing that we do in this climate controlled environment with mm. no predators around on a padded surface. <laughs>
1: with no predators. Like around. <laughs> there's no lion coming to get you. No, it's like the there's
0: no line. there's no there's no heights. There's no sharp objects. There's no one here. trying to tackle you. There's no one throwing <laughs> things at you. There's no balls whizzing past your head at a hundred miles per mm. hour. Like.
1: It's as fucking safe as you but, can get, but it's the, the safety culture around it is just nuts. Like it's so unwarranted. You know, the, what about the what about the the, the classic raff? Apart apart from the don't hyperextend the knees when you're doing bloody footwork. You're laying on your back, putting or pushing. Even if you did hyperextend, legitimately hyperextend, I think that's fine. Yeah. Um, so apart from that ridiculousness the the okay i i'm gonna i'm going into swan right so i'm going into a full interpretation of a, a back bend of a j curve we know that we're going to see uh, a lot of that extension that range the majority of that range coming from the lumbar spine yep. and when someone is in the full interpretation of one of a better word uh you know their swan, well they're kind of the back's kind of Going to sort of look like a hockey stick, right? So nice. the upper back's going to look straight, yeah, and that's in its you know full interpretation of it extension, right? And the lumbar spine is going to look deeply bent, deeply for one of a better word, okay? And everyone's going to look different. Mine doesn't look so deep, but I'm definitely trying to get it deeper. So the classic in that is you don't hyperextend your lower back. When you go into a back bend, or don't hope
0: the one that really grinds my gears is don't dump into your lower back.
1: Don't and, dump and, into your lower back. Engage your abs. Which, come on, please, everyone, please use your brains on that one. Engage your abs and try and go into a back bend. Hello, it's called a plank. <laughs> if that is a plank. That's a plank, right? <laughs> well, just
0: because of the shape of the the facet joints in this in the spine, uh-huh. um, the lumbar spine. Uh, you know, just by its structure, um, permits a lot of extension, like the facet joints are aligned in such a way that they slide easily over each other into extension. So the lumbar spine, human lumbar spine is capable of an average of, you know, roughly 80 or 90 degrees of extension. Um, and mm. you know, obviously the average is the middle. So some, you know, means half of the people have got more than mm. that and half of the people have got less than that. So if you've got mm-hmm. a bit more, a bit less, you know, who cares, but, mm. but you know, that's the average. Um, Mm. And whereas the lumbar spine, because of that same orientation of the facets, it can't rotate. So the lumbar spine doesn't rotate very much at all. Each each lumbar vertebra only has like two or three degrees of rotation, which is basically nothing, right? Mm. So your lumbar spine bends backwards very easily, doesn't rotate very well. Um, whereas your thoracic spine, the facet joints are basically facing at 90 degrees to where they're facing in the lumbar spine, and so the thoracic spine is fantastic at rotation. So you've got heaps of rotation, you know, available from in terms of the bony structure in your thoracic. Um, whereas you've basically got no extension, and there's lots of uh, studies that have found that that the human, you know, basically they put people in. Uh, x-ray machines or CT machines, basically, and they get them to flex forward, then they x-ray them, then they get them to bend backward as far as they can and x-ray them. What they find is from full flexion to full extension is like 10 degrees. You know, it's in the thoracic spine. It basically doesn't bend backwards. So a fully extended thoracic spine looks basically straight, right? Mm-hmm. And that what you've got at a straight thoracic spine is you've got bone on bone in your thoracic. Like it's, you know, it's that's the, that's the end of range. It's, it's hit the bump stop. Um, yeah. Whereas in the lumbar spine, Um, you can go to 80, 90, 100 degrees before you get some kind of structural impediment. You know, it doesn't mean everyone's got that much range, but it just means if you've got less than that, it's probably not the bones that are preventing you from getting further. It might be, you know, other tissues or pain or fear or whatever, but, you know, probably the bones will allow you to go to 80 or 90 or 100 degrees of, of extension, backbend in your lumbar spine, um, mm-hmm. You know, before you hit up against your end range. So, yes, yeah, so I like exactly like you say, a full back bend of someone who's got full normal range will look like a hockey stick with with about ninety percent of the bend coming in the low back, mm-hmm. and the upper back and mid back basically just straight, right? And that is called a normal back bend. Mm-hmm. You know, like in high class words, we call it a physiologic back You know, it's the normal function of that body part, physiologic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. so that ain't, I mean, and so hyperextension of the low back would be defined as high, as as beyond the normal range, right? So if you've got, say, 120 degrees of extension in your low back, you know, and these are the people who can put their head on the back of their thighs. Yeah, you know, I was
1: going to say, I'm starting to, I'm visualizing the contortionists yeah. here, yeah. you know, the circus act.
0: Yeah, and yeah. so, you know, that is hyperextension. So if you, if you can extend beyond the usual range that you know the average person has, well that's called hyperextension. Yeah. But just yeah. like just bend just doing a back bend ain't hyperextension.
1: It's not it's not hyperextension. It's just just straightening your legs. It's, it's Just, yeah. just straightening your elbows is not hyperextension. No. No. Yes. All
0: right. I'm glad we got that out of the way. Good talk. I'm r-
1: really glad we got that out <laughs> of the way. So <laughs> uh yeah Empower your clients to move their bodies, get their bodies strong through range, move their joints through range. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, can can I can we talk a, just a tiny bit more about this pain thing, and then I want to talk about some 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 exercises. Um, sure. Well, you know, so we we start to well, we said that basically hypermobility is this kind of generalized. Looseness of connective tissue in the body, and that it doesn't just affect the joints; it affects the digestive system, the mm. vascular system, which is the blood vessels. Your, you know, your breathing, your digestion, your nervous system, because your nerves are all held together basically by connective tissue. So, your nerve function is altered if your connective tissue function is altered, because nerves are made of connective tissue uh, largely. So, or they're surrounded by it. So, so when your nerve function is altered, now when you, when I say nerve, you know, maybe you think like, oh, nerve in your arm or something, but like your brain is made of nerves, right? So your brain and spinal cord are just nerves. There's the only difference between your brain and, and your, the nerve in your finger is in your brain, there's like a trillion nerves, whereas in your finger, there's, you know, only a couple of hundred or a thousand Right. So it's just, it's the same stuff. There's just more Mm. of it inside your head. So, so when your nerve function is altered, that means your brain function is altered because your brain is just nerves. Right. So, if you've got altered nerve function, well, you've got altered brain function, which means that, you know, well, what does your brain control? Well, everything in your body. Right. It controls how fast your heart rate is. Uh, It controls what hormones are released in your body. It controls. Uh, your um, to a certain extent your digestive tract um, it it controls your sensations that you feel it controls you know the the messages that you send to your muscles to contract or not uh, it can it, it generates uh, pain experience um, so all of those things are products of a nervous system and so if your nervous system function is altered well we would expect symptoms in any or all of those areas, right? You'd expect, you know, hyper or hypo, um, you know, heartbeat, you know, tachycardia or bradycardia is the high-class term, and we see that in people with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, um, We and we also see uh, chronic widespread pain in people with Ehlers-Danlos, and we also see um, c- considerable um, mental health issues. So people with uh, ELIS downloads have a, I, I can't remember the exact number, but it's, it's like a four to five times increased risk of panic disorder um, and generalized anxiety disorder and agoraphobia. Um, and uh, there was a really uh, interesting study in 2016 called Central Sensitization as the Mechanism Underlying Pain in Joint Hypermobility Syndrome slash Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome um, from the European Journal of Pain, again in 2016. And what they uh, found was basically that people who are hypermobile have generalized increased sensitivity. So, right, so they might have like... you know, I've got a sore shoulder or I've got a sore knee or whatever, but then actually if you, you know, if you poke them with a pin, just like somewhere random, like their leg or their upper back or whatever, um, and, you know, how hard do you have to poke them before it causes pain? So basically what they're testing is the pressure pain threshold, and then they do that with people who don't have hypermobility. What they find is people who have hypermobility are more sensitive to pain everywhere in their body, right? Right. And this is like heat pain, cold pain, pressure pain, Um, you know. So people who are hypermobile, they do have more pain, but it it seems to be more of a centrally mediated phenomenon, right? So basically it's caused probably more by the central nervous system, right, like being hypersensitive rather than a biomechanical fault with the knee joint per se. Um, And... And there are a couple of studies that have found similar results to that. And so, and then when we look at exercise, um, what we find is that uh, no exercise is better than the other exercise. So if we look at uh, a systematic review from twenty fourteen, the effectiveness of therapeutic exercise for joint hypermobility syndrome. what they found was that joint-specific exercise, so focusing on, you know, targeting, like, don't hyperextend your elbows, et cetera, versus just general exercise of, like, hey, just drop and give me 10 push-ups with no instruction about the elbows, gave identical results. So both of those mm. you know, Im- improved pain and all of that. And you would expect that if it was more of a general, uh, you know, situation, because if the pain is coming from more of a system- system-wide system you know, situation of nervous irritation, you know, the nervous system is irritated, well, you know, a lot of the effects of exercise are kind of system-wide, like it redu- exercise reduces inflammation, for example. Exercise releases endorphins, you know, so there are a whole, whole bunch of stuff that exercise does that are kind of general effects. It doesn't really matter what exercise you do, you get the benefit. And so if the, if the cause is kind of general, then we probably, you know, all we need is a, like if the nervous system is a bit hypersensitive and there's a bit of inflammation around, well, doing something to reduce the inflammation will probably help. And it doesn't matter if you exercise the elbow or the knee or some other body part, it's still going to work just as well. So there was that. And then uh, a study in... uh, 2009, a randomized comparative trial of generalized versus targeted physiotherapy in the management of childhood hypermobility in the general rheumatology, and they found uh, that general exercise was exactly as effective as joint-specific stability training for people with hypermobility. So they just gave them, you know, one group just got general exercise like some push-ups, some lunges, some curl-ups, you know, just standard gym exercises and the other group Mm -hmm. got individualized targeted physiotherapy interventions to quote correct their quote faulty uh, joint mechanics Uh, and they found that everyone got exactly the same amount of improvement at the end of the program Uh, and then this is my favorite one which I'll link to in the show notes, which is from 2013. It's called in Children with Joint Hypermobility Syndrome and Knee Pain, a randomized controlled trial comparing exercise into the hypermobile versus neutral knee extension. So what they did was they got a bunch of kids who had uh, hypermobile knees and pain, and they gave them all the same exercise, which was just extending their knee and pulling against a flex band. Um, but half of them, they they coached them to only go to neutral and to not lock their knee. And the other half, they just said, ah, just pull your knee back as far as you can. Don't worry about it, whatever. And they went Mm -hmm. through the full hypermobile range. And what they found was, guess what? They all got better the same amount. All got better the same amount. All got better the same amount. Made no difference. Mm -hmm. So what we see, uh, you know, repeatedly, um, oh, and here's, here's another one, it's, I only found this the other day, from 2019, the effectiveness of a multidisciplinary intervention strategy for the treatment of symptomatic joint hypermobility in childhood, a randomized single center parallel group trial. Um, and so what they did in this trial was they trialed a Bespoke, multidisciplinary programs. So they had, you know, physi- ther- physiotherapists doing joint stabilization work. They had exercise physiologists doing strengthening. They had uh, coaches doing gait analysis. They had podiatrists giving them foot orthotics, and then they had education. So all of that combined right? And it was bespoke. So that means it's like individualized to each patient, right? So they gave them specific targeted exercises and instructions and cues that were individualized to each person to correct their, quote, faulty biomechanics. And then the other group got some advice, like one single session of advice to go home and do some exercise, like just get active, right? And then like 12 weeks later, guess what? Exactly the same amount of benefit, right? Except one of them cost like $20,000, right? Because we've got all of these professionals making orthotics yeah. and whatever. And the other one was like, here's your green photo stated sheet of exercises, you know, come back in 12 weeks. You mm. know? <laughs> so, you know, I think that, you know, as... I wouldn't say there's overwhelming evidence because there's only, there's not a lot of research in this area. I've only found like four or five randomized controlled trials, but they all found no difference between joint targeted specific exercise versus general exercise for hypermobility. And they both help. Yeah. So yeah. And
1: I would have thought the 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 potential there for the specific, you know, uh very specific could be to could end up potentially with more you no know, SIBO or fear around movement yeah, or, yeah it was not. actually
0: it was interesting in that um, study in the the Pacey et al study which was the the kids with the the, the flex band in their knee um, mm-hmm. the the two groups they had identical outcomes in pain uh, mm-hmm. and but the 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 neutral group had better Oh, sorry. The And so the, the group that went into the hypermobile range, their parents reckoned that those kids were psychologically more happy at the end. So they felt more kind of basically empowered, right?
1: Wow. Because, it, yeah. yeah, they could just do their thing. Yeah. Wow. There you go. Yeah. That's Yeah. There you go.
0: So So, yeah. So I think general exercise for the win and like, just don't fucking worry about hypermobility. It's not a thing. You know, like it's. It, it, I mean, it is a thing, but it's like it's not a biomechanical thing, right? It's just like if, hyper, if someone's hypermobile, great, good for them. They can touch their toes. They can do the splits. That's fucking awesome. Wish I could. You know, who cares if they lock their elbows out? Doesn't doesn't matter. Doesn't makes no difference. It's not a thing. Don't worry about it. For the
1: love of God, please, please stop queuing. Please stop queuing. Don't, you know, the the micro bend in the knees, the micro bend in the elbows, please.
0: If you want to cue something for hypermobile people, if you want to cue something for hypermobile people, cue them to just like tone down their central nervous system a little bit. Just say, hey, hypermobile person, I can see you locking your elbows there. Can you just like chill your central nervous system a little bit and stop producing this uh, emergent phenomena of pain in a generalized (laughs) way? And maybe just cue them to just reduce their systemic inflammation a little bit and maybe just cue them to- I thought
1: you were being serious for a minute. I'm like, what?
0: (laughs) Yeah, and you can cue them to increase their gastrointestinal motility as well while you're at it and maybe increase their vagal tone a little bit to- you know, just so their oh, blood
1: definitely the tone. Their definitely blood vessels the just tone. kind of,
0: their vaso, you know, that you get some vasoconstriction there, the blood mm. vessels constrict a little bit, just to improve their blood mm. pressure, because they're likely to have low blood pressure. So cue those things, uh, and that'll probably be more useful um, than telling them to not lock their elbows or whatever. Mm. You know, and, and I don't think I need to say it, but I'm just going to, just in case, there was fucking air quotes around the last whole thing that I said, right?
1: Think you need to say it? It's all yep. air quotes. Just let's be sure. Yeah, it's always good. It's always good. <laughs> we don't want to start a new trend of people actually queuing those things. <laughs> Could you imagine, Ralph? Oh my goodness! Just I'll okay. Like, no, no. Go, go back to what you were doing before. Go back to the so, micro bend in the knees. And the so
0: we're going to do the roll up. So just take a breath in and slightly constrict all the arterioles. Now on the exhale. Oh, Your pericardium, can you just contract that slightly? That's the sac around your heart.
1: How many, by how much percent? I reckon no more than
0: 20% of maximum voluntary contraction.
1: Okay. Can you tell me what that would feel like? (laughs) Where should I be feeling it, Uh, right? Am I
0: doing it right? Am I doing (laughs) it right?
1: my abs obviously definitely not in my hip flexes
0: <laughs> no <laughs> oh shit are you feeling it in your hip flexes oh no i was oh, yeah no. I oh no
1: oh, i'm oh, sorry wow. <laughs> oh dear yes yeah. we just we just but seriously guys like we your job is to empower feelers movement yeah. okay get people strong get people empowered in their bodies and uh
0: hypermobility yeah. equals awesome you can do Freaking cool party tricks. Isn't that awesome? And wouldn't it be great if you could just never stretch and just do the splits anytime you want? I mean, that'd be fucking awesome.
1: You know, I've never done the splits in my life. I never like, have, Like and I know I'm well. not yeah. and I'm not working towards it. I probably got I got close ish when I was sort of like, I don't know, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Yeah. So I could kinda kinda sorta, kinda sorta do the splits. Now they seem to be <laughs> long gone to me. <laughs> but I'm not working on it. <laughs> so yeah. you know, if I wanted to work on it, then I'd get better at it. Yeah. Um,
0: if you stop, yeah, running.
1: I, yeah, if I stop running, I really love running. So, uh, I truly feel that that these, you know, this 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 cue out there that you know that don't hyperextend the knees, don't hyperextend the elbows are again, uh, and when we think back to, you know, and I've spoken about this before in earlier podcast episodes, um, particularly in nonsensical cues, which to me this is going into that realm, isn't it, of nonsensical cues, potentially? 100%. Uh, Um, Good. Okay. Yeah. yeah, uh, I'm I'm waiting for you to say actually no. uh, No, I think – If I'm telling someone who's not hyperextending, genuinely not hyperextending – not to hyperextend, like I'm saying to them, you're hyperextending. Stop hyperextending. That's yeah. nonsensical. Yeah, I reckon it. Yeah. So, and and what I talked about in that episode, the nonsensical cues episode, and what I speak about uh, quite passionately with my students is there's is is these parrot cues. It's a parrot cue, and by parrot cue, I mean heard we've,
0: else heard else from, out, we've heard so it from we've heard it from another instructor.
1: Yeah. We've heard it on, um, you know. Pilates anytime, or we've heard it and on wherever we've heard someone else say it, and we think that is what you have to say as a Pilates instructor. If you see someone's something bending some ways slightly, you know, you gotta say don't hyperextend. Even if I hear this cue, even when no one like like it's just a cue that's constantly used. Don't hyper to a whole room of people, don't hyperextend your knees. Keep your knees soft. Keep your elbow soft. So it, to me, it is a nonsensical parrot cue and we, in order to elevate our industry and in order to promote fearless movement and motor learning with our clients and empowerment of our clients in their bodies, we need to think before we parrot cue. Put your critical thinking caps on and hopefully I, I would say that this episode has uh, truly empowered you to know the difference between what is true hyperextension and what is not.
0: Yeah, and I would uh, just, yeah, I guess I'd just finish up by saying that hypermobility is a connective tissue disorder that affects multiple body systems. Uh, it's probably causes pain, but not directly at the affected joints. Um, And the pain in hypermobility is probably a result of central nervous system hypersensitivity, not some kind of, quote, biomechanical fault, end quote, in the joint. Uh, And it's kind of unclear whether hypermobile people are actually at greater risk of injury in sports or not, but my gut is that uh, they probably are at greater risk in contact sports and probably at lower risk in non-contact sports, um, and that, you know, we have five or six randomized trials of exercise in people with hypermobility. And what we see um, in every single one of them is that joint specific targeted exercise that aims to correct the hypermobile, you know, quote, dysfunction is no more effective, not one jot more effective than just general old exercise. So I think the take home, um, and, and there's probably an interesting little side journey there that we didn't really go into a lot which is that there's this strong correlation between uh generalized hypermobility and um, panic disorder and uh, oh. uh you know other sort of mental um, health issues and uh, also fibromyalgia which is a, a chronic widespread pain um, kind of condition so um, fibromyalgia uh, sorry not fibromyalgia, hypermobility uh you know if you have someone in your class who has hypermobility like Joint stabilisation and alignment are not important. They're just not important. This person may or may not have other, you know, symptoms and issues like digestive issues, you know, blood pressure issues, whatever it might be. Um, But telling them to keep their fucking elbows bent is not going to make any fucking difference at all. Well, in fact, it could own, just you
1: know. create more more fear in it's them. It's just and got to create more fear their, and their, their right. body and, and trust in their body. And so this is a person
0: who's who's four time four to five times more likely, you know, more prone to panic and anxiety disorders. Yeah. And so it's like just lay off them, you know, just say, the, "Hey, you're freaking awesome! You can your do job the splits." Guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's
1: the opposite. Yeah, exactly. Just
0: when when they do something really bendy, just look at them and go, "Fuck, you're awesome!" I wish I could do that.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. All right. Good, good talk.
1: Really great. Really, really, really good. We look forward to hearing your feedback as always. Please keep the uh, lit reviews yeah. coming. Um, <laughs> head onto the onto the Apple the Apple um, Apple Podcast app, and if you scroll to the bottom. You'll be able to find where you can leave the five stars, and if you could leave us a comment, that's really awesome too. For those that have come across our podcast and deciding whether to delve in and listen or not, please share our podcast as well. So if you're working at a studio, uh, you can you know use it as a resource to to share just to share some latest best practice and get some combos flowing uh, with with your teams.
0: Yeah, don't forget to let them know there's a few f bombs though.
1: Yes, please. F- well, yes, I did. Uh, yes, and if you and if you're listening, uh, and you got little kitties around and whatnot, and you don't want them to hear it, just remember to have your AirPods in or something in your. In, yeah, there's 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 some language language yeah. warning.
0: Yeah, I enjoy our conversations, Chloe. Talk to you soon.
1: Thanks, I Do too. Bye. <laughs>